All right, you may be wondering why we're going through Leviticus. I'll just do a quick reminder. First off, it's God's word. We believe in all of God's word. We want to go through all of God's word, learn from all of God's word so we can be changed by all of God's word to the glory of God alone. That's the biggest reason. The second one is Leviticus is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. And there's so much that is just expected for the reader to know uh, that there's not much context given in the New Testament because they just expected all of those first century Jews and uh, new believers to know the laws as they were reciting them or explaining things about uncleanliness. Um, So we need to... For us, I don't know about you all, maybe some of you all were just born with Levitical knowledge. Um, I wasn't. Um, I was born uh, with the uh, nature of sin and uh, how to catch a good bass on a Friday evening in the creeks of West Virginia. That's all I knew. So I had to turn to Leviticus to learn about the Levitical law, what God's commandments said, and even church today, how they apply to us. There's still application. Um, These offerings... For instance, always pointed to Jesus. Amen? All of them. We don't need to bring up a bull. We don't need to start bringing offerings here to this altar to make atonement for our sins. We understand fully in the New Testament that Christ fulfilled those things. But even then, church, they knew that this was a foreshadow of the one to come. Because Paul makes it clear that those who didn't understand it and were merely doing it out of tradition or uh, for checking off the boxes, he says that they were never even a part of God's people. And we can relate to that today, especially here in 2023, is that a lot of people like to play church. And this isn't a slam on anybody. This is to those who are legalists and those who are uh, liberal in their, their theology where things are just kind of like, mm, maybe that applies to me, maybe it doesn't. It's just kind of how I feel about that day. But God will forgive me no matter what. We have to find that balance. Yes. There's that solid truth that we have to stand on. We know that all of God's word matters, but we also understand that we've been set free. So don't, don't um, lead your brothers and sisters into captivity of man-made tradition. Yes. But this is the word of God from Leviticus chapter 4. If you have your scripture journal, you can turn there. If you don't have one of those, there's still a few in the cafe that's our gift to you. But there's Bibles, every other row, use your phone. But we're in Leviticus chapter 4 where it says this. Bear with me, this is a long passage. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, and does any one of them, If it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, then he shall offer for the sin that he has committed a bull from the herd without blemish to the Lord for a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord and lay his hand on the head of the bull and kill the bull before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and bring it to the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle part of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the altar of, fra- altar of fragrant incense before the Lord that is in the tent of meeting. And all the rest of the blood of the bull he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all the fat of the bull, the sin offering, he shall remove it from it the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat one, fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys just as these are taken from the ox of the sacrifice of the peace offerings. I love how there's that, that description, that pointing back to this offering before. Uh, continuing on. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burnt offering 
But the skin of the bull and all its flesh, when its head, its legs, its entrails, its dung, all the rest of the bull, he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place to the ash heap and shall burn it up on a fire of wood. On the ash heap it shall be burned up. If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they do any one of these things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, and they realize their guilt, when the, when the sin which they have committed becomes known, the assembly shall offer a bull from the herd for a sin offering and bring it in front of the tent of meeting. And the elders of the congregation shall lay their hands on the head of the bull before the Lord, and the bull shall be killed before the Lord. And the anointed priest shall bring some blood of the bull into the tent of meeting, and the, shall put some of the blood on the horns and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil." And he shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar that is in the tent of meeting before the Lord. And the rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And all its fat he shall take from it and burn on the altar. Thus shall he do with the bull, as he did with the bull, as he did with the bull of the sin offering, so shall he do with this. And the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven." And he shall carry the bull outside the camp and burn it up as he burned the first bull. It is a sin offering for the assembly. When a leader sins, doing unintentionally any one of the things, all the things that by the God's commandments the Lord uh, said ought not to be done, and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring as his offering a goat, a male without blemish, and shall lay his hand on the head of the goat and kill it in place where they kill the burnt offering before the Lord. It is a sin offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar of burnt offering. And all its fat he shall burn on the altar like the fat of the sacrifice of peace offerings. So the priest shall make atonement for him for his sin, and he shall be forgiven. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally in doing any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments committed is made and he, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in place of the burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat he shall remove, as the fat is removed from the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a peace, uh, pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. Bear with me. If he brings a lamb as his offering for sin offering, he shall bring a female without blemish and lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill it for the sin offering in the place where they kill the burnt offering. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the sin offering with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of the burnt offering and pour out all the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. And all its fat shall, he shall remove as fat as the fat of the lamb that is removed from the sacrifice of peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar on top of the Lord's food offerings. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven." 
If anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his iniquity. Or if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether a carcass of an unclean wild animal or a carcass of unclean life has become of unclean swarming things, and it is hidden from him, and he has become unclean, and he realizes his guilt, or if he touches human uncleanliness, uncleanness, or whatever sort of uncleanness may be with which one becomes unclean, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and realizes his guilt, or if anyone utters with his lips a rash oath to do evil or to do good, any sort of rash oath that people swear, and it is hidden from him, when he comes to know it and realizes the guilt in any of these, when he realizes the guilt in any of these and confesses the sin which he has committed, he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for sin that he has committed a female from the flock, a lamb or a goat for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him and his sin. But if he cannot afford a lamb, then he shall bring to the Lord as his compensation for the sin that he has committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for the sin offering and the other for the burnt offering. He shall bring them to the priest who shall offer first the one for the sin offering. He shall wring its head from its neck, but, it shall not, but shall not sever it completely. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the sin offering on the side of the altar, while the rest of the blood shall be drained out at the base of the altar. It is the sin offering. Then he shall offer the second for a burnt offering according to the rule. And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin that he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. But if he cannot afford two turtle doves or two pigeons, then he shall bring as his sin offering. He shall put no oil in it and no frankincense, for it is a sin offering. And he shall bring it to the priest, and the priest shall take a handful of its memorial portion and burn it on the altar on the Lord's food offerings. It is a sin offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, if any one of these things, and he shall be forgiven. And the remainder shall be for the priest as in the grain offering. That's God's word for us this morning, church. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Father God, focus our minds back to you. That's a lot. God, we see your word as holy. We see it as as valuable, as useful, as living. So God, we pray as it lives today, it may change us actively for today, for tomorrow, and forevermore. May you be glorified in our obedience to the reading of your word, to the proclamation of your word, and to the living out of your word. God, would you use this time to just remind us of the importance to draw near to you? God, would you remind us of our sinful nature, God, and our need for you each and every day? God, I pray that we would be humble. I pray that we would be bold. And I pray that we would be used by you for your service, for our good and for your glory. Send us out as those who are living differently than the world and calling the world to you every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd love to say that that's the longest passage we've read, but we went through uh, Nehemiah, and uh, with all of the, this is theology and, and whatnot, that was, that was a, a difficult one to get through, but the wringing out of necks, and yeah, this is, can be a little bit much, so I'm like trying to like read words and start, starting to blur. But church, this is very important and very practical and applicable today for us. So we're coming to the sin offering specifically here. And this offering, as I said this morning, as we opened up with the call to worship, 
this offering deals heavily with atonement, right? The, the, the payment for sin, right? The atonement, the purification, right? While other offerings have dealt with it lightly, they mention it lightly, it is dealt with for sure even in the peace offerings and, and uh, so on and so forth that we've seen up to this point. We're coming to an end on these offerings, but this one is heavily focusing on purification, on atonement, the payment for sins, because when we've done something wrong, then we're guilty and there needs to be a payment, right? That's why we believe in a judicial system, because we believe that if the crime is done, then the time should be done also, right? If you do the crime, you do the time. I was always taught, I think all of us were taught that as children, and we need to be taught that because it's true. If you do something, you, you either deserve a reward, not like always a pat on the back, like, hey, like, you, you did good. And it's like, well, no, that was just your job, right? You're supposed to get your children dressed in the morning. My wife says you don't get a pat on the back for that one. Like, you don't get a pat on the back for making sure that they had food this morning, right? I don't care how tasty it was. Good job. That's your job, Dad, right? I get that. But with, with sin, with um, doing good, whatever it might be, there's a reward or guilty before the holy God. And that's what this entire book, Leviticus, is about, is God getting his people back into his presence. And the only way to do that is for, for them to somehow atone for their sins, to make right, to satisfy God's wrath so that they can draw near to him again. So the primary focus of this offering is on Atonement, or justification, right? Or purification, rather. But this passage is going to deal with something that I just love because you're not going to find the opposite of it. You're not going to find anything dealing with intentional sin, but it's dealing with unintentional sin. The unintentional sin for the high priest, it's going to go in in four different categories here. The high priest, the congregation, rulers, and the common person, right? Just everybody in general. But it starts here with the high priest, and our, our first point to start off this morning is that sin can be unintentional, but it's still sin, right? Sin can be unintentional. Some of you, maybe you're realizing that you sinned in your youth, and you're like, man, I didn't even know that was a sin. It's like, it's okay, right? Like, you're a believer now, you get it. But yeah, it was still sin. Then, one of my children's uh, favorite thing to say, uh, my kiddos, uh, ages six and three, uh, is I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to or I didn't know. How many of you all have young kids and that's something you hear all the time? I didn't mean to, right? My daughter will like rear back and hit her big sister, just smack her, and be like, I didn't mean to. I'm like, no, you had time to think about it, you had time to think about it, and you had time to think about it. Like every step of the way, that was a premeditated action of assault, now, with my six-year-old, there's, there's, our conversations are a little bit different. Dad, I didn't know that I couldn't give ever markers while you all were still sleeping, right? Like, I got up. I'm allowed to, to play with markers, but I didn't know my three-year-old sister wasn't. Now, that makes sense, right? But I'm like, it doesn't matter, right? Because there's, you also need some sense here, too, at some point that ever can't color on a page when we're all sitting there in a circle. So what makes you think she's going to be able to do it when we're up in bed and you're down here watching her, right? Unintentional sin is still sin. And this is what you're going to find with this offering is it's dealing with that which is unintentional and not that which is premeditated or intentional, right? There's, there's something we're going to get there in, in a second uh, to be said about those who uh, actively, habitually participate in sinful activities 
But then there's also this, this sense of, hey, we're believers and we're trying to figure this life out. And sometimes we do stumble into sin and we didn't realize that we were stumbling that direction. It's still sin. But you are forgiven in Christ Jesus if you've repented. But this is this passage is specifically dealing with this. It says in verse 2, speak to the people of Israel saying, so he's telling Moses, speak to them and let them know if anyone sins unintentionally, you made a poor decision, whatever happened, it left you as a sinful being separated from God, yeah. intentional or unintentional, and now you need to be uh, brought back into the fold of God some way, somehow. Yes. Now, what this does, church, is this shouldn't lead you into a place of despair. It should just show you the holiness of God. Yeah. It should show you that, that God is so holy that even... Even our unintentional actions separate us from God because God is not an unintentional God. He's very intentional in how he created us and how he's formed us and how he's molding us and how he's sanctifying us according to his word. And because he's intentional, even those unintentional thoughts have left us separated. Like it's like intentional doesn't even need to be talked about because it's like you know better than that. You know not to do these things. But even if it's unintentional, Israel, you are separated from God. You are at odds with God because your nature leads you into wrath and not into righteousness. That's why we need the holy God to step into our life and intervene for us so that we can live according to his righteousness because his righteousness has been given to us. Now, when it talks about intentional sin, um, right, like just straight up just giving in. It's intentional. There's no offering mentioned, but Numbers writes this. We read this in Numbers. But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is a native or a sojourner people, because and that person shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. Now, this is huge, right? This is when we talk about even uh, last week or the week before, just all the time, right? When we go into the world, we are to call people to repentance and, and faith in Jesus Christ. And then we pray that the Holy Spirit would do what the Holy Spirit does and convict them of sin and change their life according to his purpose and according to his word. But if you have proclaimed Jesus as Lord of your life and you're proclaiming him to the world and you're not living according to his word, then that's where we, the church, are to take issue. That's where we get church discipline, excommunication within the church is when things are not being done by the people of God according to the word of God. So the intentional sin, there's, there's no offering for it because Numbers, the author says, just cut them off. They shouldn't be here, a part of this, this family, because they know what God has saved them from, but they're not living according to it. That's the intentional sin. Many of us find ourselves in unintentional sin. And whether it be unintentional or intentional, point number two is this. Sin affects others. Our sin affects others. It affects our brothers. In what we face, it affects our uh, moms and dads in, in real life, our biological, our adoptive, our grandma, grandma, um, grandpa, whoever, it affects them. 
And I feel like we should be able to move on uh, from this point because it seems so simple, right? We've got things going on in our life uh, where we're affected and we feel the effect from our, our family's sins, our friends' sin, right? We're bearing the burden of people who were caught up in different transgressions. But we cannot move on until we talk about this, and we should not move on. Church, my sin affects you. Your sin affects me. It affects each other. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. This is Paul talking about us being members of the same body, different members, but the same body. He uses the analogy of the human body. If you're the hand, don't envy the foot and wish that you were the foot or the head, whatever it might be. He goes on, but then he says this, which is super important because if we grasp that first concept that we're one body and all together being used by God, having been given gifts from God to glorify God, then we can come to this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So when, when we have brothers and sisters in Christ who have the gift of evangelism, they're just really good evangelists. We should all do it, but some of you were just super gifted in that. God's given you that gift, and praise be to God. Who am I to be jealous of that gift? People, by God, be rejoicing, and we should rejoice together as you use that gift, and people, by God, through you, are drawn to him. We need to be one body again together. And look at how this progresses. It starts with the priest, right? I mean... We, we talk so much about the congregation, and I, I was talking to someone about how I try to preach we. If I ever preach like you, if you hear that and you like feel like attacked, understand that the words hit me all week. I've felt this, and I don't mean for it to come across that way. But if it comes across that way, show me grace, but also receive it because, because that's conviction from the Holy Spirit, and we all need that, that our sin is affecting one another. And we start here with the, the priests because it's not just that the people, that if the leaders are not living a life worthy to the calling in which they've been called, then how are they going to lead others? What are we leading them to if we're not leading them to God? Verse 3, the very first person addressed. If it is the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on the people, Notice how the priest's sin affects the people. The people he's supposed to be interceding for and communicating to God for, he's now brought guilt on them. Oh, it doesn't seem fair. Church, that's what happens, and it is fair. Because just as Adam sinned and we inherited that and are at odds with God, we actively participate in with the priest. He says, church, not just the pastors, but all people, if you're a member of this church, you are to lead people, right? So if you're leading, where are we headed? Where are we heading as a church? Where are you heading as a believer and disciple of Christ? See, church, if we are living sinfully, we are only going to lead them to sin. Now, that could be 99% of your life is full of righteous behavior, and you know that. But you also know that that 1% it's drowned out by the righteous, so it really doesn't need to change. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Consider that back to the very beginning. That little bit of leaven, there was a reason that with the grain offering that there was no leaven because a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump, and that picture, that leaven, has to do with sin. And a little bit of sin, church, in our, in our family is going to affect the whole body. 
my uncle's been, been dealing with cancer for four years. He's at end of life. And I remember just when he first got sick, it was just like this little anybody spot. And then that little spot turned into more. And it was like, man, like how can like one little piece control your whole body and kill your whole body and wear your whole body down? Church, sin is our spiritual cancer and it needs to be dealt with because it has us sick and it has us a need for our holy Savior. And he is addressing the priest here. Lord, but see, if we're living sinfully, we'll lead them to sin. But if we're living for the Lord, we will lead them to the Lord. My prayer, church, is that we can look in the mirror and say, I can repeat Paul's words and say, follow me as I follow Christ. See, this priest who was supposed to be the mediator between God and his people, if he's found in sin, he's affected them. He's led them to guilt and not to righteousness. He's supposed to be their representative. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 gives us this great picture of our high priest who never fails us and always leads us well. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a holy God who is not like the priest and is not like the people, but rather the leader, the Savior, the Lord of all creation who came in the flesh of man to save his people and to be that sacrifice once and for all. See, sin just affects everything it's around. It doesn't discriminate. It's here. It's within us. It's part of our nature. We're sinful. Our inclination, Christ is your Lord, ought to be fighting that urge because you now have the power of the Spirit. And understand this. Sin will bring guilt. Point number three. Like sin, even though it's unintentional, if you have the holy God living in you, it will bring guilt. Now, guilt will either lead you to despair, especially if you're not a believer, but if you're a believer, it'll lead you to conviction and confession and to Christ. Every time. Now, that doesn't mean it's not a a week process or a two-week process. Some of you are on maybe a two-year process. I've been there. And it's like you're working through this and you're seeking the face of God. But sin brings guilt. We want to get away from guilt, right? Like, that's the message we don't want to hear in, in church, right? Like, free us from the guilt, Lord, seeing chains are gone. Let's, let's get out of this. But if you don't understand the guilt that we all have before the Lord, that's guilty, right? Like, period. It's just guilty. It means if you were on trial today, guilty as charged. And the result of that would be eternal separation from God and a place of gnashing of teeth. But to those who repent and believe in Jesus, surrender their life to him, be redeemed into his arms, and one day receive a glorified body and go to be with him forever. But the only way you're going to get to this decision is by understanding the guilt that follows sin. Verse 3, it's the anointed priest who sins, thus bringing guilt. Verse 13, 
If the whole congregation of Israel sins unintentionally and the thing is hidden from the eyes of the assembly and they do one, uh, any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done, they realize, and they realize their guilt, verse 22 says, and realizes his guilt, verse 27, realizes his guilt, in verse 2 of chapter 5. And he realizes his guilt. See, guilt is not a bad thing, church. It's, guilt is, is something that we have to face. People have to be guilty or innocent. There's one way or the other. And because we're all sinners, we are all guilty before the holy God. We're all guilty, every single one of us. You pointed at me earlier. I'll point at you, Nelson. Not just you. You're not the only guilty one. We're all guilty. You're like, what am I guilty of? Everything, right? Like, we're all guilty. Every single one of us. And we must realize this. That's what this offering was there for. This offering forced them to come to terms with their guilt. When we take the Lord's Supper, when we take communion, what it forces you to do is remember your guilt because your Savior died because you were guilty. Except the precious Lamb of God, Jesus Himself, the only one. So, this offering forces us to come to terms with this. Communion forces us to come to terms with this. Church, this morning I want to force us to come to terms with this. And I can't spiritually force you, right? You're maybe listening to this and you're like, I hear you, we're guilty, but something has to change inside where your heart says, I'm guilty, I'm sinful, I'm not good, and I need God each and every day. Romans 3. Verses 10 through 12 says this. As it is written, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Super harsh, right? It's the word of God. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of of God. The next one, Romans 6, 23, for the wages. So all have sinned. No one does good. No, not one. That means no one's good before God. No one is at right standing. No one is justified before God by their own actions. And because of that, because we can all say we're sinners, for the wages of sin is death. That means you will die one day and that death will be realized because church right now, if you've not accepted Christ, if you've not surrendered to Christ, you are already dead. You just don't know it. But the free gift from, of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is the hope. That when you recognize your guilt, you are led, you're led conviction and confession in Christ. You're led to the Lord. You're led out of guilt into a place of conviction. And in that place of conviction, you realize the need for change and that change comes about in confession to the Lord. Not to men, not to a priest, but to the high priest, yes. Jesus. So if you're here this morning, if I'm here this morning, if any of us are here this morning, and we think that our good behavior will get us to heaven, then we're wasting our time here this morning. This is not... To slam anyone, this is to point us to our Lord, 
who came to be our sacrifice. Now, point number four, I know I changed the wording, so if you could go ahead and throw that up here, Dennis. Sin is forgiven by faith where sacrifice is made. See, I, I botched it. I was trying to type it up. I originally had sin is forgiven where sacrifice is made. But church, let me tell you that, that that's wrong because you can make sacrifice. We can make sacrifices all the time, but sin isn't simply forgiven there. Hebrews says that none of these offerings actually atoned for any of their sins because they had to keep being done. And all they were was a foreshadow of the one who'd come to be the propitiation, to be the capital S sacrifice for the sins of his people. So sin is forgiven by faith where sacrifice is made. Right? In the sacrifice that we believe in Jesus and we have faith in him who was the sacrifice. Verse, uh, third, once have a notebook, you can write these down. I'm just focusing on this idea of forgiveness out of this sacrifice. By the way, we went through chapter 5, uh, verse 13, because... It's up for debate whether chapter 5 is altogether a part of the guilt offerings, which will be next week, or if it's back here with the sin offerings. I think you guys know where I stand on the issue because we went through chapter 5. So here in verse 13, it says this. And the remainder, uh, or here, and he shall be forgiven. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed in any one of these things, and he shall be Forgiven, verse 35 of chapter 4, says, And the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed, and he shall be forgiven. Verse 31, And the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. Verse 26, So the priest shall make atonement for his sin, and he shall be forgiven. Verse 20, And the priest shall make atonement for them, and they shall be forgiven. Yes. See, they sinned unintentionally, and they were not left without hope. There's hope in a sacrifice, a hope of, of peace and of blood on the altar. But that peace and that blood is only from Jesus. Jesus is our peace on the snow. Praise the blood that was spilled. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Praise be to God. For the blood of Jesus poured out on our behalf. Hebrews 9 verses 23 through 28 says, Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into, the holy, into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For, when, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away the sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with the sin, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Man, you can come back up. Church, I know this week that we weren't 
sacrificing any bulls, right? To, to make amends with God. Yes, he says bulls are expensive. Like stimulus expensive? Stimulus check, somewhere in there. That's a lot of money, right? That is a lot of money. They brought the best. And we weren't doing that. But if we're honest with ourselves, we were trying to sacrifice certain things to appease God this week. Each and every one of us does it. And what that means is we haven't really recognized our guilt. Because our guilt won't lead us into a place of, of buying prized possessions to make God happy, buying things or doing things to make God happy. It'll lead us to a place of falling on our knees and praying and turning to God and surrendering to God our sacrifice, Jesus Christ on the cross. That's where it will lead us. So don't look back at, at these folks and think Israel was just doing all these traditions and that was something God told them to do. Church, this is something that we do. This is sacrifice. But I think we know that being here this morning isn't going to get us into heaven. I think we know that lifting our hands in praise this morning, maybe in this last song, is not going to be what stands out to God. What stands out to God is the complete and utter surrender to him as Lord over your life. First John 2, verses 1 and 2, I'll end with this. He, talking about Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. And he is faithful. He is the propitiation. That means the payment, church, that he paid for our sins. That you don't have to go and buy bulls. You don't have to go and buy all these things. You don't have to do these sacrifices. But as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, and we've hit on a lot here, is that you would present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. If you're a believer this morning, remember that truth each and every day. Think about communion. Take communion with your family this week, right? That may not make everybody happy. Uh, pastors may not agree with me on that point, but take communion with your family, right? If you want me to come serve it to you, I will. But remember that sacrifice because that sacrifice causes us to deal with our guilt and to rely on our Savior, to remember our Savior and the sacrifice he made once and for all. And if you're here today and you're not a believer, I hope that this guilt hasn't been a shame thing but rather a surrender thing. Lean into Jesus. Yield to the Holy Spirit in your life. Surrender to him. Confess your sin and believe and receive that life that Christ came to give. Church, if you all would go ahead and stand, we're going to sing this last song. I just want to pray for us. Pray over us. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Lord, it's difficult drawing near to you through Leviticus. But it's so clear that you were calling your people to draw near to you through these. But rather, it was the heart's intent. And God, you used that. You used that to show your people. You used that to separate your people from the other people. God, I pray that you would do that with us today. God, I pray that we would live holy and acceptable according to your word. That we would follow you in faithfulness. Lord, that we would hold one another accountable to your word and we would love one another in this life and we would seek to be a healthy body for our good and for your glory. God, use this family today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's see.